0: Welcome, everyone, to the Fantasy and Betting Podcast presented by the 33rd Team. I am your host, as always, Josh Larkey. You can find me on Twitter, tweets. More importantly, I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Ryan Reynolds, at Ryan NFL on Twitter. Last week, we had Liam Murphy with us to discuss best ball. He won best ball mania, too. This week, we have another guest, Ryan, who is on tap with us In the studio, live for this edition of the podcast.
1: We bring in the first guy to win a million dollars through a Best Ball Media win. Let's bring on the second. We got Pat Corain here, Best Ball Mania 3 winner. Pat, you know, one of the benefits of working in football is everyone that you work with is smart. Our paths crossed at ETR. Last year was a pretty big year for you. Like we just said, you won $2 million in a Best Ball tournament. You're sitting there playing guitar with Matthew Berry. Starting your own venture now. How you doing, buddy? Doing good. Yeah.
2: Shout out to King Cap, by the way, who's actually the, the second person to win a million from Underdog. Uh, oh, he won the regular oh, season prize, so I came oh. I came swooping in at the end there and and won it. the the uh, overall championship. But yeah, it's been um, it's been a lot of fun. I've I've been doing my own thing, uh, getting to kind of write about stuff at kind of my pace. Whenever I'm kind of thinking about something, diving deep into something. I'm working on like four different articles right now uh and hoping to get a couple of them published this week but uh yeah kind of the, the flexibility to be able to write about what I want to write about has been really nice Bad, man you can find
0: yeah all pat's work will be on legendaryupside.com and you know what i just thought about this tax season we all hate it but technically if two people before you want a million dollars you want 2 million after taxes you are the only million dollar winner <laughs> so maybe we should have introed the show that way that sounds even better I think that. Yeah,
2: well, I live in Brooklyn, so we'll see. We'll see how that works out.
1: <laughs> That's true. Hopefully, things are more expensive. Starts at two million, but... and then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah,
2: yeah, but uh, no, it's been uh, it's been a wild ride for sure.
0: Ryan, do you have something to add before no. I, I'm trying to dive into some best ball? But you yeah. clearly have some strong thoughts on the East Coast. You're you're out in Jersey yourself.
1: No, I was just you know, going to say like things are more expensive on our neck of the woods, and let's start this off with the best ball question that Shaw said. One of your one of your core things is legendary running back seasons. Could you explain that stance and could you give us an example of one of the players that you have in mind for this year?
2: Yeah. So, um, what I I wrote an article a couple years ago uh, for NBC Sports Edge talking about, you know, kind of the point of taking an early round running back. I draft a lot of zero running back teams and a lot of like hero running back teams are just take one early running back. I will take two early. The team that won for me did have a running back running back start. Um, But my my point with with the article is I was looking back to all the running back seasons since 2000. And what you're seeing is you you get these seasons where guys are scoring like 23 plus PPR points a game, which are just massive, like landscape shifting types of outcomes. And you get that at a position where not a lot of other guys score that many points. Like the running back position as a whole isn't all that high scoring of a position. You know, a wide receiver, we're going to get at like a lot of guys who are reliable kind of weekly contributors. Even if they're not hitting your lineup every single week, they're still producing a lot of points for you over the course of the season. Once you strip away these like really high end outcomes at the running back position, it's a weaker position than the wide receiver position. But that actually helps you if you hit on one of the seasons that's absolutely dominant because now you're competing against other teams with running backs, not only they're probably scoring less, but running backs that people probably spent a lot on, you know, especially two, three years ago, running backs were very expensive. They're a little cheaper this year on underdog, but still, I mean, you're you're talking about early, early round picks. And so my thesis with the article is basically, if we're going to be wading into this kind of risky territory, let's be at least let's at least like acknowledge what we're doing, which is that we're hoping we find these legendary seasons. And so with that in mind, let's see if we can like identify the the types of running backs that are more likely to produce, produce these seasons. And they were coming from, you know, historically, they've come from guys who are really young, like younger than you would think. Um, you know, once you get to like your fifth year in the league, you're already like, eh, you know, 26, 27. It starts to get a little shaky. You know, you, you really want the guys who are you know, more like 24, you know, and. You also want guys who are going to be able to produce in the receiving game. That's been more and more a component of this over the years. Uh, as the as the NFL has shifted, we're seeing less of kind of the like Sean Alexander, Larry Johnson type of seasons. Um, Dalvin Cook had a really good season a couple of years ago that was was more similar to that kind of old school season. But still, it wasn't like, you know, full two down territory was still getting a little bit involved in the receiving game. But, you know, the Austin Eckler season that we had last year is kind of the modern prototype really. So going for that, but going for guys who are also going to be able to be efficient because essentially no workload can get you to one of these seasons. You you need a massive workload. You're going to need to score a lot of touchdowns, but you're also going to need to perform really well on what you do get. So looking for guys who've, who've been efficient, like I, I'm not, I tend to be one who is pretty skeptical of like the arguments around projections for these top running backs. Cause so I'm like, yeah, that gets you in the door, but you're going to need to have, someone actually deliver quite a bit over what they what you can reasonably project them for if you're shooting for one of these really really top end seasons now in in best ball it's not make maybe the only reason to take these guys you know Najee Harris had a really good win rate a couple years ago when he was like an early second round pick as a rookie um, because he did get all the work and that that is helpful in the second round but um, I think particularly for managed leagues you want to be focusing on these types of, of outcomes and trying to trying to go after the legendary ceiling. But I'll, it also obviously makes a huge difference for best ball as well if you do hit on that guy. Austin Eckler was was that guy through 17 weeks last year, was on my winning team. So, yeah, I think you, you do want to have that profile in mind. This year, it's a little tough. I, I think it's kind of a weaker year, actually, for the legendary running backs. Um, there's a lot of guys who have, like, good profiles. But, but in terms of, like, checking all the boxes – I would say Christian McCaffrey, you know, first running back selected, not a huge surprise. He definitely is a strong bet. Uh, The other guy who's I think, a very strong bet, if he was totally healthy, is Brees Hall. I think Brees Hall, he checks like every single box you're looking for, except he's coming off a torn ACL, so that makes him a little tricky.
0: Yeah, he was someone where early in the offseason, we were a little bit worried, and I remember Ryan and I talked, and we decided we were going to like Javante Williams a little more than Brees Hall back in like February because all of us are sickos. We're drafting the second the Super Bowl ends. Then all the injury news started to be that Javante Williams is looking more and more Mm -hmm. like last year's J.K. Dobbins and that Brees Hall, according to every fantasy Twitter physical therapist out there, is at least a month ahead of schedule. So I'm very interested to see how Brees Hall's recovery continues to go. Now, as you were talking through that, it feels like you're very, very picky about these running backs. You may have some strong takes here. Who, who is the worst first round pick on underdog right now?
2: I Honestly, I don't feel strongly about that. I think there's, <laughs> I think the first round's fairly efficient. I, I do think that in the back of the first round, you get into profiles um, where, like, are they that different from guys going in the middle of the second round? Or are they that different from guys on, like, the 2-3 turn, um, you know, running back? So... But I don't. No one jumps out to me, to be honest, as like this guy shouldn't be here. Um, I do. I actually, although Austin Eckler was on my winning team last year, he has made me nervous. Uh, I, I'm probably going to be underweight on Eckler because I was I was nervous with the contract talk, um, not because I thought that like couldn't get resolved, but he's a 28 year old running back. Uh, he's always kind of had it feels to me a bit of a tenuous grip on the goal line stuff. You know, he is undersized. Um, he struggled with success rate last year, according to NFL Next Gen, which I was looking at. Is, it does have some correlation with the following year uh, green zone rushing opportunities. So it's like, you know, if you're not you're not doing what you're supposed to do as a rusher, it would, it would stand a reason maybe around the goal line, especially that you lose opportunities there. So he kind of has some red flags popping up. And then with the contract situation, I was like, man, if they bring in anybody, you know, if they if they were to bring in a Fournette, like it would really really hurt Eckler in a way that like most other backs who get like first round um, fantasy draft capital are like insulated from. You know, like if if the Colts mm-hmm. signed Fournette, I wouldn't really care, but I think it would really matter for Eckler. So that made me nervous, and now I'm like, okay, I'm in, I'm I'm in on Eckler again. But I'm seeing him go up like kind of ahead of Bijan sometimes, and I'm not in on that. So I, I'm in on him as a first round pick now, but I he's the one I probably will struggle to have like to, to stay even with the field on. Cause I started behind uh, maybe I was overly cautious with that, but um, yeah, kind of ironically, I don't, I don't think I'll be overweight on Eckler.
0: Let's actually stay with Eckler since Ryan and I have been wrestling with this. They have a new offensive coordinator, Kellen Moore. He was formerly with the Cowboys. The Cowboys had incredibly high scoring offenses, but we all know that there was the Zeke Pollard committee. Should we be making any parallels there where, Kellen Moore does not like one running back getting all of the work since it certainly felt like that where Pollard was oftentimes more efficient pretty much everywhere. Yet Zeke still had a pretty firm grip on, I don't know if you call it the 1A role, the 1B role. It was the 1A role for the NFL, probably the 1B role for fantasy football. Should we be concerned at all that a Josh Kelly and an Isaiah Spiller, maybe if a Fournette comes in, that that guy actually gets kind of that large role and that they really want some type of 55 45 60 40 split uh,
2: yeah I mean I think the the thing with Zeke was I'm like how much I don't think that was more you know that was like I don't even know if that was McCarthy <laughs> that, that, would, that was probably coming from ownership uh, to get him involved you know they, they didn't want to didn't want to get embarrassed with the contract they gave out and everything um, or just team loyalty or whatever but uh I don't know if that's so. I, it's tough for me to say if that's like a philosophical thing with Kellen Moore. I do think that, you know, coaches have tended to be a little bit um, less willing to give undersized guys goal line work. Now, Eckler's gotten goal line work the last couple years years. That has not been a problem, given that he still has the same coach. I would lean towards it not being a problem again this year. But, you know, this is why I think the the age questions like really matter. You know, because if you if Eckler were to fall off a little bit as a rusher, the first thing to go would be the goal line work. Right. And he's already undersized. So and like I think that's probably like top of mind for his coaches. Like they're seeing him like get stuffed a lot. And this small guy getting stuffed in high leverage situations like he's going to lose that work. I think he could lose that work too, like a Josh Kelly or a Spiller if he doesn't completely disappear this year or. I mean, if they were to sign someone, I think, again, I think that would be a big deal. Like even a Zeke, like even a Kareem Hunt, would it, any, basically anybody would prob- would create like a little bit more uncertainty there. So um, that's my, my, my nerves with Eckler. I guess what I would say, though, is Eckler still rates pretty well in the legendary upside screener that I have. Not as well as he did last year, um, but nearly as well. So... I don't want to, like, I'm going to do work to make sure I'm not, like, out on the guy who won me the money. I, th- I think he, if we want to talk about his floor, I think his floor is definitely lower than last year. But, and, and his ceiling might be a little lower as well, especially if the offense doesn't kind of crumble to just dumping off to him a million times like it did last year. But, I mean, he did. He is a highly efficient receiving back who is his, his team's goal line back as we sit here today. So I think he does have, the ceiling that you're looking for, even if it, it, it's just not quite as clean as you'd like, even Then he's 28 and undersized.
1: Something from last year I wanted to ask you about with your team. I, I, I'm, you know, I, I was talking to Josh about this before. I'm more of a blend guy from a process standpoint. I'm I'm definitely believe in data, especially like usage data and things of that nature. But at the end of the day, I'm, I'm a film guy too. And for last year, I, I Tom Brady was a top five exposure quarterback for me because I liked his week 17 matchup. He failed throughout the regular season, but he he exploded in week seventeen, as you know. So, from a process standpoint, I didn't get a team to the finals with Brady on it. Was I wrong or was I right in my stance on that? Would you say? Well, your your stance was just you were in on Brady. I was in on Brady be, primarily because I thought he had a he was going to go crazy in week seventeen. Well,
2: you I mean you were clearly right that
1: he was going to go crazy <laughs> in week seventeen. So,
2: <laughs> so that's a win. Um, I, I, to be honest, even though I, I benefited from Brady going nuts in week 17, um, I haven't been trying to predict that this year so much. Like, it's just hard. It's hard for me to feel like I'm going to be able to, to do that. Well, I think to me, the correlation, and I believe in the week 17 correlation, I mean, my team, it had DJ Moore coming back with, uh, Tom Brady and Chris Godwin is, just, is like a big stack. Um, I didn't have Mike Evans. He went ahead of when I took Saquon Barkley in the second round. But I had uh, a number of uh, Dolphins and Patriots who were playing each other. Uh, I had a couple different Giants players uh, all stacked up. I, I had a Hunter Renfro and George Kittle mini-correlation. <laughs> so, so I I went all the way down the uh, the correlation rabbit hole. Um, so, and I really I really think it's important because you're looking at a 400 plus team final again. And so you want to be able to get a few things right and have your, you be able to jump a ton of teams, you know, even though it's really hard to make the finals, you got to win one Mm -hmm. out of 16 and then one out of 16 again in weeks, 15 and 16, you then have to win one out of 441 to win the 3 million. So you need to be able to like put together like a realistic group of bets Right, that they you you can get a couple things right instead of like eighteen individual things right, and, and vault to the top. The thing with the correlation is it just like narrows down how many things you need to get right. So I don't know which games are going to go off, but I do know that these teams are going to play each other. Like that's that I know for a fact. So mm-hmm. if it's like if there's points in this game, I'm re- I'm working on an article right now. It's basically it's talking about the the metaphor for it is you know, imagine that you have a time machine so you can travel. That's the time machines on the fritz though. So it doesn't give you perfect uh, information of the future. You can travel to the future and it'll tell you it's a very specific time machine. It'll just tell you your early round hits on the, on the team you're drafting that best ball team. So then you come back and you're trying to think, okay, what do I want to do? I know, I know this now, right? I know that this, I know that, you know, Jonathan Taylor's going nuts. Jonathan Taylor's going to have this huge week 17 game. Well, like now, all of a sudden, Hunter Renfro is kind of interesting. Yeah, I I don't need Jimmy Garoppolo. I don't need Anthony Richardson. I need, but I know that the Raiders are probably going to be passing because Jonathan Taylor is going nuts. He's winning me all the money. So Michael Mayer, Hunter Renfro, dump off passes in garbage time. Like those guys are suddenly interesting because I know that for a fact. I think there's actually something to drafting like that because if you are going to win this tournament and you draft Jonathan Taylor with like the two hundred two you probably need him to go off in week 17 or you're not winning. So draft like he is going off in week 17. Like you've actually seen it. Uh, I think that's kind of the way to think through the correlation. Like I have no idea if that game is going to go off, but the second you pick Jonathan Taylor, it better.
0: It's pretty clear that the the week 17 correlations, you talk about it. We talk about it. It seems like every analyst talks about it. And then you look at teams being drafted and it's still clearly underutilized by the field. What's one more strategy that, you're seeing in these large field best ball tournaments where you go, you know what? That should be happening significantly more than it currently is.
2: Yeah. So I've written about how I think it's really important and helpful to stack without the quarterback. So, you know, that, that Taylor Renfro mayor example stuff. I love stuff like that. I love where, and the thing that I like about that too, is let's say you went like Jonathan Taylor and then you took Jacoby Myers because you had Jonathan Taylor. If you needed to get Jimmy Garoppolo later as a quarterback three, you know, you get boxed out, you you have that as an out like you know, because you've created this Jacoby Myers, Jonathan Taylor thing. It helps set you up for a backdoor stack later in the draft. It actually has added flexibility to your team. So if you had to add the quarterback, because let's say you're lining up a Jordan Love thing, he gets sniped, you know, you, you're like, ah, God, I, I'm desperate for quarterback points. Now you could always add it in and you can do that with with higher end quarterbacks as well. You know, if you've had a Christian Watson, Jordan Addison, and then uh, Kirk Cousins like falls way past ADP, you're like, oh, I wasn't planning on drafting Cousins, but I'm going to take this ADP value now. And so I think that if you're drafting without the quarter, if you're drafting that to correlate week 17 without the quarterback, that means you're correlating more often and you're correlating in ways that are like. You're actually I, I wrote an article where I gave an example where I didn't take Juju Smith Schuster on a Josh Allen team. Juju Smith Schuster on the Patriots plays the Bills in week 17. I don't like Juju Smith Schuster. I don't think he's a very good pick. I actually don't think he's especially a very good pick for week 17. Like he's kind of I think he's kind of dusty at this point. So I didn't take him ahead of ADP. Instead, I took Cortland Sutton, but I already had uh, a Chargers player. So I I was creating like a little mini game stack there. And then I continued to build out that game stack with Marvin Mims later. So I had two Broncos and a charger and I don't on that team have either one of those quarterbacks, but I do have this big Josh Allen Patriots stack going on, but I'm still making just a couple bets, right? But I've made the bet. I took Josh Allen early in the draft. I took him in the second round. If Josh Allen doesn't go off in week 17, I'm not winning the $3 million. That's just a fact. So am I like, am I concerned that I don't have Russell Wilson? I'm not concerned because Josh Allen just had this incredible week 17. Like I can cover Russ. That's not a problem. But what I do need is points in in additional games beyond the bills Patriots. That's not going to be enough. So I still like if you're continuing to correlate outside of just with your quarterback, that means you are betting on additional games to pop off. And you're benefiting when they pop off, even if it's not hitting your quarterback position, which is the most replaceable part of your entire team.
1: I have a question that's kind of related. I want to, I want to hear your thoughts on this because it's a little unconventional. I, I'm a high-volume drafter. I'm going to draft you know 300, 500 teams this year. So there's you know five to ten that I'm going to do. I'm going to get off the board, a little off the rails here. For instance, what if I'm going to force a few mahomes Kelsey's teams, and in those situations, in at least a few of them, I'm only going to take one quarterback and one tight end, for the idea that I can go heavy volume at both running back and wide receiver, then, and that hopefully the buy doesn't cost me advancement if my team does well. Do you think that's a bad idea, a good idea? What are your thoughts? My
2: my feeling on that would be, in, in those types of situations, if I'm punting quarterback because you're just fully punting quarterback mm-hmm. two and tight end two, I'd be more inclined to go, you know, punt quarterback to, to the late rounds, but still get someone who's going to be able to fill in like you know, the bye week for sure, but maybe, maybe one other week or something. And just help me advance, just raise my odds of advancing a little bit. Um, Mike Leone wrote uh, the best ball manifesto for established a run. And he was basically make it, I think a pretty strong case that like, especially for like guys like you and me who are drafting a ton of these and we're like, we're like seeing the matrix and everything. That we're probably like underrating advance rate. Just yeah. get just getting there is actually important and it does raise your expected value quite a bit if you're if you're building in ways that are going to help you advance at a higher clip. So I would be hesitant to sacrifice that that advance rate juice juice because I, like I don't what's your opportunity cost if you take like Mac Jones? You know, like it's it's pretty low. So I, I would be inclined to grab that that second quarterback with Kelsey if you're punting off the tight end two especially sitting here like in may i might i i've done stuff where i take an elite tight end and then i grab two late tight end dart throws because i'm like what are like the opportunity cost of the guys in the 17th and 18th round at wide receiver and running back feels low to me even though there will be guys who hit out of those picks like my chances of finding them now are probably pretty low um I was looking back at some of like the the hits from years past and Justin Jackson really jumped out. There was a report I think in like June or July that he was going to get cut. And then by mid-August he had a quote stranglehold on the number 2 job. He then basically did nothing all year but but had an incredible week 16 game. And so he became this uh he like supercharged teams to the finals. He was the the highest finals rate of any uh, you know, number of teams per times drafted of any late round pick that year. But he, you never would have picked him this time of year. You never, ever would have picked Justin Jackson he was supposed to get cut, at, you know, at this point. And I, there's lots of guys like that, I think. Samaji Pirine was, you know, we were all taking Chris Evans this time last year. So I, I think that especially right now, I've become more open to just doing an extra late round tight end dart throw. Because I'm like, I, I think like Tyler Conklin's got a job I think you know Hunter Henry I think will be like running some routes like there's you know like it's not like super fun but like there's guy guy who's out there and has and could catch a touchdown and then like imagine if that tight end two does do that for you in week 15 or 16 and Kelsey duds low owned Kelsey in the finals I mean that seems pretty fun so that's that would be my like if you had a couple dark throws or or just at least just one would be my preference. Just for the chances of this guy, you know, goes off at the exact right time and helps me get a low on leverage. Leverage Kelsey just seems too fun.
0: I mean, Ryan and I started to smile and then we started to look at our uh, portfolios. The two of us, I think, have more Tyler Conklin than anyone else I know. So <laughs> hearing you mention his name, we haven't even we didn't even prompt you for it. Makes us uh, gravely concerned for what our final exposures will be for <laughs> the starting tight end in Aaron Rodgers' offense. Where
1: yeah. I mean, I
0: think you would agree that good. after Garrett Wilson, who who is there? Who is the the other target earner? Lazard, not a target earner. Michael Hardman, not a target earner. Corey Davis, I'm not line sure. Might not be there. Yeah, yeah, we also all roads point Tyler Conklin at this point. Now yeah
2: and I think I think that we'll probably start to feel like more confident about a lot of these tight ends later like some of them are some of them are bad picks right like but I think their chances of less of less like a lower percentage of those are bad picks than of the running backs and the wide receivers and so I do think you'll probably get like a little bit of closing line value on a guy like Tyler Conklin provided he has the role we think he does
0: Now when we look at this this New York Giants offense Darren Waller feels pretty confidently like the wide receiver one, even though he plays tight end, assuming he's healthy. Help us decipher what these other roles in the offense will be because they were a surprisingly efficient team last year. I think we'd all agree the offense got better, and then they faced the Rams secondary in Week 17. I think that's Ryan and I's pick at at this point to be the worst secondary overall in the NFL. Do you have any leans there in terms of how that pecking order begins to shake out at receiver?
2: Yeah, I've been I've been thinking about that one a lot. Um, And I think it could be kind of like one of the keys to the year, to be honest, because like it's Daniel Jones' second year in this system. He did pretty well. He wasn't great, but he did pretty well um, with Dayball in the first year. And they could they could pass a fair amount and they'll probably pass with like, you know, they'll probably pass out of a decent number of like three. And maybe four wide receiver sets, you know, given given Dayball's tendencies in the past. And I don't know. I think maybe it's not quite as murky as it looks at first glance. Because it's the buzz that I've seen over the last week is that Wandale Robinson and Sterling Shepard could start the year on pup. And so then what are we really talking about? Jameson Crowder, you know, is he really someone to worry about? Probably not. You know, so it's like you've got Isaiah Hodgins, Paris Campbell, probably to start out of the slot, but then, you know, maybe Wandale, maybe, maybe Shepard kind of coming for those slot snaps. But I don't know that either one of those guys, especially Wandale is going to play much on the outside. So then it's, if you're out, your outside wide receivers are going to be primarily Isaiah Hodgins, Darius Slayton, and probably Jalen Hyatt, although he played in the slot in college. So maybe he's kind of like a, a speed slot, you know, kind of stretching the seam type of dude. And I think he's pretty raw, but, but he strikes me as maybe more of a threat to Slayton in terms of just like providing a deep threat element to the offense. So I'm kind of starting to feel pretty good about Isaiah Hodgins. I went, I went and read uh, Matt Harmon's uh, reception perception profile on him. And he was saying like, dude is a, an X, you know, they're, they're, he's kind of the classic big bodied X wide receiver, which is something they don't really have like a a backup version of, I mean, Marcus Johnson was kind of playing that role a little bit for them last year before they brought in Hodgins to do it. That was kind of the failed Kenny Galladay, Kenny Galladay role. I think Um, they kind of tried out a bunch of dudes as they went along and, and Hodgins was pretty reliable, Uh, really good hands. uh, Just kind of like has a mastery of the fundamentals is how Harmon put it. So uh, he, he looks pretty good by some of the numbers that I like too. So, I'm getting like a little bit more confident that that Hodges is is someone that we can that we can feel we can feel comfortable about, especially if you know you think the Giants might be a good passing game to target, and I think price adjusted they are. I, I like taking Waller. Um, I, I, the ADPs line up nicely. If I don't get one of those early tight ends, I know I can get Waller. I can get Daniel Jones a few rounds later. I can tackle on Hodgins. I can tack on Van Jefferson or something. There's lots of it's like kind of a fun way to just build in some correlation later in the draft. Um, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm kind of in on, on Hodgins. Uh, I've heard his contract mentioned as a downside, uh, a reason that, you know, he's making less money than whatever. Uh, he is basically still on a rookie deal. He was waived by the bills. So I wouldn't worry about, um, the money with, with Hodgins. I don't think like, I don't think that's going to factor in if anything is a reason for them to keep him. He's, he's a, he's a cost controlled. It doesn't reflect what they thought of him. He wasn't a true free agent.
1: Something I'm going to tack on there, I, I agree with you entirely on this, actually. Campbell, Slayton, Hyatt, all fast. He brings an entirely different skill set to that wide receiver room. And like you said, I think Hy- Hyatt's actually a bigger challenge to Slayton than he is to the slot. So I'm aligned on that. I have quite a bit of Hodgkins. I was very, very happy to hear your stance on that. Now, I have another guy that I'm looking forward to seeing your stance on. You know, we're both we're both tri-state area guys, Pat. Both little, both Irish guys. So, what do you think about Trey McBride there, Patrick? <laughs> I botched it a little bit. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, it was a little hitchy, hitchy yeah, getting just, in. I didn't, I didn't Much like pre- Trey McBride running routes. It was
0: better no. pre-show.
1: It was better pre-show, <laughs> it was. Um,
2: I, I like Trey McBride. Okay, I mean, I I certainly like that he's free. I like that you can bring him back on Eagle stuff. Uh, probably helps that Hopkins is gone. You know, there's just more targets available there. I think my issue with McBride is that the Cardinals are not going to be very good early. And they're like, yeah. even to tight ends, it probably it won't be like that fun. Because with tight ends, you're never going to be able to count on, on volume, you know, outside of the really good ones. And are there going to be that many touchdowns uh, in Arizona? So that it, it's just he's not a very fun early part of the season pick. Um, but you know, he's a young player, so you could maybe expect him to come on down the stretch. He certainly did. He had a great week 17 last year. But Zach Ertz is coming back. I think Zach Ertz is like basically done and coming off a knee injury, but he could uh still run enough routes to kind of hold back McBride's McBride's upside. So um I like him okay. I've taken him some, but I he's like one of these guys where you know I don't want to I can't I can't really consider like kind of being super heavy on him because it's uh i I just think his path to like week 17 upside is a bit limited and he's and he probably is not going to be a high advance rate guy because of how bad the cardinals are going to be especially early on the season
0: let's talk about some more late round picks now ryan knows this i talk about all the time how much i hate kenny pickett but i have to say that i draft a lot of kenny pickett now that his adp is in the 170s some mobility, the offensive line is getting better. The the receiving trio of Deontay Pickens, Fryermuth starting to look pretty good. Who is the late round quarterback for you? Where you hit round 14, 15, you know you need another quarterback for either upside or stability. Who has been your your go-to at this point in late May, early June?
2: I, I like the picket one a lot. That when I mentioned Mac Jones earlier, I mean he's he's uh less expensive than Pickett, but, um, that's a better, that would have been a better name for me to say for that example. Cause one thing that I love about Pickett is he's got job security. Um, I also like Jordan love, uh, who's like maybe cheating a little bit. He's got an ADP just, just ahead of one fifty now, but, um, he's like, he's got job security. They're not benching him. Uh, and I think he could be a little bit fun for fantasy. You know, he's got he's got a nice deep threat there. Maybe Jaden Reed is pretty good. I don't feel that strong about that. But, you know, there could be it could be a little fun. Um, I've taken a lot of CJ Stroud, who I don't actually love as a prospect. But I feel like, again, job security. We know he's getting all the starts. And it should be a much better designed offense with, you know, the Shanahan style offense there now. Uh, not great weapons, but like he's just. He's someone who's got like, we, you know, we've talked to kind of to death in the dynasty community about whether or not he's going to run. He could run a little, you know, so he gives you a little bit of upside. Um, I've taken, I've taken a fair amount of Bryce young um, who I think has maybe a little bit more uh, high volume passing upside, not like super high volume, but I think that that those coaching staff, that coaching staff might be a little bit more willing to lean on him where Stroud's probably going to operate a low volume system. Uh, so those would be kind of the guys that I I gravitate to. I have taken some Mac Jones, although people have pointed out to me like, hey, you talk about job security a lot, Mac Jones could get benched too. And I think that's probably true. But I I think like if – I just think there's like scenarios with Mac Jones where like if Bill O'Brien makes a functional offense, Mac Jones isn't getting benched. If it's a disaster again, he could definitely get benched. So the floor is pretty low with Mac Jones, but there's like you kind of like hit like slightly below the median outcome and mac jones is fine he's not getting benched um and i, I kind of I like that for the price if i'm if i'm in this range i generally want guys who aren't going to lose their jobs uh, i don't take a lot of i have taken some trey lance because he's gotten so cheap but i don't take a ton of them i've mixed in the Pur- purdy occasionally because i think he does have a, an end of the year ceiling don't take a ton of them howell i don't take much of Um, certainly there's a payoff there if he's able to hold down the job the whole year, but it's a desperation move for me because I I want the guys who I think I can count on to help me advance by playing every week.
0: Ryan, do you have any quarterbacks to add there before we move on?
1: No, I mean, uh, I've actually taken a little bit of Mac Jones too, super late because one of the things I like about him is everyone hates him. So it's more (laughs) of like a contrarian option too. like, I mean, he goes undrafted quite a bit. Sam Howell, I'm not a big Sam Howell guy, but at least he brings some mobility. But like so like Pat just said, I'm not entirely sure his job's safe. You know? So, I, yeah, a little picket. Stroud's becoming a little more interesting to me, especially because his Week 17 matchups against the Titans. So, if he's going to have a spike game, it might actually be when it matters most.
2: And he gets them Week 15, too. So, maybe maybe just tears yes. him up twice. double
0: dips right, with a right, bottom right, five right. secondary.
1: Right, right, right. Going to going to attack the same subject but from the running back position. My guys in the last round or so, I take a lot of Zamir White, Pierre Strongs on my radar. I wish I knew which charger to take. Do you have any like round 17, 18 running backs that interest you more than more than most?
2: Uh I've taken a fair amount of Leonard Fournette, who's dropping kind of like I guess more like kind of 16th round, but um I do think he signed somewhere. I went back in you know, like he requested his release. And I went back and like read some of the quotes he gave at the time. And he was saying like, he was like, my guy, meaning Brady left and winning is everything. And I mean, he was like, he he was saying, I don't want to be part of this stupid
1: rebuild.
2: (laughs) You know, this sucks. (laughs) I'm out of here. Right. So I think he's with that in mind, like he's not going to go sign with like a total bottom feeder team, you know, and like there will be injuries, unfortunately. There's going to be some injuries, especially to running backs as we move through the summer. I think someone's probably going to going to sign him. And I think he has, of like the Zeke, Hunt, uh, Fournette group, I, I think he's got the most juice, rumble. He's got the most rumble left. Uh, he's never had that much juice, but he's, he can certainly still get get moving. He's, an, he's a big man. Um, so yeah, I, I draft a fair amount of him. I've been a little bit intrigued by the Vikings backs. Uh, we're just like so confident that Madison's got that job. Um, I was intrigued to see that Evan Silva has Ty Chandler like in his top one hundred and twenty, I think, um, overall. And so I've, I've mixed him in a little recently. Um, I think Dwayne, I think um, McBride, Dwayne McBride's pretty interesting too. Uh, you can mix him in a little bit. Um, yeah, those. Those guys are pretty good. Gus Edwards, I take sometimes because yeah. I I draft a lot of Brees yeah. Hall, and I'm like help, just help me, just help me get there, man. Just just, yeah. and I and I think the Ravens could be really good, and so I'm just like a guy who could give me touchdowns, um, and and is like a clear number two. I, uh this isn't quite 17th, 18th round, but I'm drafting a ton of Chuba Hubbard because I'm like he's a clear number two, and I think he's talented. I think he's good, so. I just don't really like to me, he's kind of more of like, like a 12th, 13th round type of value. I feel, pr- I feel pretty confident that he's the number two. And I think, and I think he's good. Like normally you pay, that's like an Antonio Gibson price, right? Or an Elijah Mitchell price. So, um, I, I really like taking him Jalen Warren's the other guy and kind of the, again, the, that's cheating. Cause he's a little earlier, but I feel very confident. He's the number two. Also, I think he might be better than Najee. So <laughs> I'm like, let's, let's see what happens over the course of the full year.
0: Yeah. Chuba is someone Ryan and I have been talking about before we take a lot of them where I like, I think Gibson was a good one where I think this guy could have standalone spike weeks if Sanders doesn't get injured. And I know we've all been frustrated before by Miles Sanders injuries or dropped passes, things of that nature. It is a good offensive line. Bryce Young is probably competent. Let's now turn to wide receiver. Now I am a Chargers homer. I will accept that. But at this point, I don't know what's stopping me from selecting a lot of Josh Palmer in round 17 or round 18. I think Quentin Johnston is good. However, every single year we see these early drafted receivers not play much as rookies or be incredibly disappointing. We saw Allen and Williams both get injured for significant parts of last season. I think we all like the the passing expectations for this Chargers offense. Do you like Palmer? Are there any other late round receivers? that you think have a shot for some type of spike weeks in that range. Since so far, everyone keeps telling me you have to get your receivers early and I agree with it, but am I legally allowed to take a late round receiver?
2: I know I'm actually, cause I've been told, you know, uh, you're not allowed to draft receivers late. If you've drafted them early, you have, you have to stop it. I believe it's <laughs> now down to four. You're only allowed <laughs> to take four receivers total. If you go zero running back. Um, and I don't, I don't like, that's not actually what they're saying, but I don't like, uh those builds quite as much. You know, I'd still like to go at least to seven wide receivers, even if I've gone like heavy zero running back early. I like I still kind of prefer the the two six eight two build in the 18 round format with zero running back builds. Um and yeah I like I like taking those extra darts on wide receivers um for some of these builds, especially if I've taken care of running back to an extent. Like if I've got, you know, four running backs in that kind of like eight to around 13 range. I, I, I feel pretty good. I think that's a pretty good running back room. And now it's like, let me go spike week hunting. Let me find a guy who can do something for me for one week. But I feel, but I know that he has a job or I feel pretty confident he has a job. Um, I've, I've taken a decent amount of Tutu Atwell uh, because I'm like, I think he's running routes for the Rams and he kind of yeah. looked pretty good last year. Uh, I've mixed in some of these Giants guys. I'll, I'll go for a Slayton, a Paris Campbell, you know, those guys. I'm like kind of a boring veteran play, but you know, might have a role. Um I go, I, I sometimes will tack on Quez Watkins. Quez Watkins has had incredible finals rates over the last couple of years, uh, despite not scoring any points because he, he's just tied to Hertz. So if you get, you know, maybe, maybe he actually does something. Uh, but I think like taking up guy who's a piece of an elite offense is never a bad idea. Um, we saw that a couple years ago with Byron Pringle ended up being a big, a big playoff hammer um, helping get teams to the BBM two finals. Um, you know, and he's, he's Byron Pringle. He's just, it's just helpful to be a part of these elite offenses. So those are, those are some of the guys I kind of gravitate to. I was taking like some of the Khalil Shakir and Deontay Hardy, with the same idea, but with this Hopkins stuff, I've kind of paused that. Um, but yeah, those those are some of the guys to jump out. Oh, That's, uh, cool. Robert Woods. Sorry, Robert Woods. I've Remember? I've really started taking a ton of. I, I kind of I was. It's dawned on me that he is just like I think he's like a better bet than Adam Thielen. Like yeah. he, he's two years younger. You know, he's coming off of a. Of, he's now going to be two years removed from an ACL tear, and so like you have like a chance that he's showed a little bit more than he did last year. He rated quite a bit higher in open score than Adam Thielen did last year. Um, And it's like the exact same play. He got a ton of money too. And it's a wide open depth chart and like the offense should be improved. Like, And I I mean, I think Adam Thielen might be the worst pick on the board. So uh, I'm just like, it's kind of fun for me to just be like 18th round, same bet. Who wins?
1: I'm glad you gave me permission to take Robert Woods because I've dabbled, but I haven't really pushed the envelope. And, you know, let's just call Quiz Watkins a glue guy. He's good for the locker room. <laughs> He's now. great for the locker room. <laughs> <laughs> Let, let's let's move on. Let's finish this off with late, late round tight end. I'm not going to botch Trey McBride's name again in an Irish accent. We already talked about Tyler Conklin. Is there anyone else out of that group that you like in the last few rounds?
2: Um, I've taken a fair amount of Jelani Woods because I'm high yeah. on Anthony Richardson. But yeah. I've started to – I was like – kind of starting to review some of my early exposures and was like, that one might be, that could get away from me where Richardson's really good and Woods just doesn't have that much of a role. Um, But he's, he's definitely one, I think Hunter Henry and Tyler Conklin are probably my two favorites just because like, I think they're both solid and uh, I think they will be out there. Kate Otten is one that I've started to take. Uh, It's like Cameron Brate's not there, which I, didn't realize until like two or three weeks ago. I was like, oh, he's okay. And Otten got involved as a rookie. Uh, I think if you were to just tell me, hey, man, um, you're going to get a 75% route rate out of this guy and uh, the team's going to pass a lot because they're bad. (laughs) I'd be like, yeah, cool. Who's that? I'll take him. Like that's, so I don't, I mean, I think that's plausible with Otten. Like I don't really see who's who's eating into his routes compared to a guy like Hayden Hurst who goes in that same range. Like Hayden Hurst is under a coaching staff who has like rotated tight end a lot. They were playing three tight ends the entire time they were with the Colts. Um, Like he he's not very good. You know he could he could be in like could have like a fifty percent route rate. I wouldn't be surprised at all. Um, So once you get that late, I'm just like who's running the routes and I think. Like Noah Fant goes in that range and Noah Fant, I like Noah Fant, but like we know they're going to rotate that tight end room. Like they they just are. So Otten has been someone that's I've been thinking more about um just just as a route play.
0: One other tight end room that's interesting, Dalton Schultz is no longer in Dallas. You can get in the 18th round Jake Ferguson. You can get the rookie Luke Schoonmaker. Do you think there's going to be that Dalton Schultz role? Or was that purely because – they simply didn't have enough receivers, and Dalton Schultz was apparently having breakfast with Dak Prescott given his outrageous usage without efficiency. I've leaned shoemaker, but maybe I'm putting too much confidence in a rookie tight end where I'm just worshiping the draft capital in the 4 six forty time. Are you interested in either of those guys, or is this Dalton Schultz role dead now that Dalton Schultz is a Texan? I've
2: been leaning Ferguson, but not. I haven't taken a ton of them. I'll kind of do it if I've got like a Goff, thing and i want to try to get a, a bring back or if i've got dak and he's i don't have you know occasionally if i'm boxed out of something i might go like brandon cook's DAC. and so i don't have cd um and if i get sniped on Gallup i'm like okay ferguson's gotta win this job <laughs> so i need i need another stacking partner here <laughs> so uh i i i tend to think like just the experience of him being on the team already and you know he's kind of From what I can find, people assume he'll be the number one tight end there, but I I don't really have a strong read on that at all. I mean, if we see any kind of buzz that, oh, Schumacher's coming on, then I'm going to chase that a little bit. I also, I was actually thinking through this, like, I think maybe, like, chasing the steam on some of this training camp stuff, like, might be an edge, because, like, if people, because if. Especially let's say Schumacher's stuff doesn't really like start to build until mid August. Like if it ends up being Schoenmacher or Schoonmacher, then yeah. he's gonna be undrafted in a lot of league. He he might be underrepresented in a number of these playoff pods. And so like if you just chase this the steamy guy, of course you do need to be right, you know, you wanna be right on a fair amount of these. If it's just nonsense, then that's that's not gonna help you. But um you know, chasing him up to like the 16th round would be something I'd be interested in with, with a more confidence that he's actually the guy for now. I'm mixing in Ferguson a little bit.
1: I like that before we get into dynasty, Pat, like we mentioned at the in- beginning of the show, you've started your own venture. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that?
2: Yeah. So I'm, uh, I launched my own site called legendary upside. Um, I'm offering a $30 discount on it right now. You can get that, uh, legendaryupsidecom slash early. So it's just $69 for your first year. Uh, I also have a couple partnerships right now. Um, I've got one with spike week where you can get 40% off a spike week subscription. You can do the yearly monthly, whatever over there. Uh, if you use promo code leg up, you get 40% off that. And, um, that's like an ongoing, uh, uh, discount as well. And then I also have a partnership right now with underdog where you can get a $50 credit on your underdog account. Um, and to do that, you need to be a legendary upside subscriber. You got, you also have to fill out a form so that I have your username. Uh, there's the right up on the homepage of the site. There's a spot to fill out that form and, uh, yeah, get $50 deposited into your underdog account as a credit. Um, and those are limited. I only have a, a limited amount of those, but I do still have some left. So if you want to sign up for the site as a yearly member, uh, that'll get you eligible to, uh, fill out that form and get the credit
0: legendary I, dot com, everyone.
2: I should note, I should note that what you're actually getting with it is uh, I've got best ball rankings that you can download and then upload to underdog. Uh, I've got my dynasty rankings over there. I've got a number of kind of strategy pieces um, on best ball and dynasty, particularly best ball right now. Uh, a number of these topics that I've talked about, like stacking without the quarterback uh, building in correlation throughout your draft, that type of stuff. Um, kind of a, a weekly newsletter
0: type of vibe legendary we'll just keep saying it at pat Carine on twitter let's now move we've got a few dynasty questions since we know you're a dynasty guy our own lead dynasty analyst ian miller has written a lot about dynasty on our site and one thing that he's talked about we really like this analogy is kind of thinking about building a house with your dynasty team and that when you're a lot of us that are listening to the shows like this, we play Superflex and that and Superflex, these quarterbacks, these receivers are kind of the foundation of the house. And that the the analogy he uses is that these these running backs are the furniture. You are not putting furniture in the house before it is built. You are kind of building it at the end. Do you have any fun metaphors for us? And do you feel like this is kind of a an accurate representation of how to build these dynasty super teams?
2: Yeah, I think that's a pretty good metaphor for it. Um, what I would say, if we're going to extend this metaphor a little further, is that extend like, it, yes, yeah, you've got your house, but everything in your house is is priced, right? Like you can, you get people come over. It's like, hey, I like this couch. Like, wow, it could be your couch, right? And you want everything <laughs> to be in great shape. You want every everything to look awesome, you know, because it, it's like, hey, you got to, you know, maybe, maybe you're sick of that couch. And that couch is not quite as good as it as it looks. So you want you want stuff that people are going to come over. They're going to come over to your house all the time. You want that. You want you want a, an active social life where everyone's visiting you. That's sending you trade offers. That's the metaphor for that. And uh, you want you want a bunch of stuff that people want. You want trade offers to arrive in your inbox as opposed to you having to go do all the work all the time. So for me, you know, I my kind of central. Thesis on on how to build dynasty team is like I want a roster full of players that other people want. And I want to be thinking through trade value uh as it relates to my like entire team and trying to keep the overall trade value of my team high. Um, because that's what gives me flexibility. Right. And sometimes like people will be like, oh, you know, people are just trying to build like sexy teams or whatever. It's like, well, you know, to some extent we are (laughs) we are trying to build sexy teams because That's what gets trade offers coming. But the reason that trade offers are so important is that, like, I don't really want to have to predict what's going to happen in 2025, right? That seems pretty hard. What I would rather do is be able to trade for who I want in August of 2025. That seems like way easier, right? To be able to take down the 2025 championship rather than sit here now and predict who's going to score points in 2025. So that flexibility and that ongoing flexibility, I think, is really important thinking through like you know like I had a chance to trade for cooper cup in a dynasty league where I've kind of done this extensive uh I did like a punt like an extensive punt and now the team's in great shape it look it's looking real good it would look even better if I had a cooper cup but I was kind of like I I I made an offer but it was probably a little below where I needed to make and I didn't get him the uh, like guy traded him with somewhere someone else but I'm just like cup Cup sacrifices a lot of my flexibility. And one of the key things for me there is that I I ended up making a trade for Justin Fields in that league. To do that, I do not have my future first. And I'm like, if I take young receivers and move them into Cooper Cup, all of a sudden this flexibility of the team without these picks, it starts to get a little tighter. I, I'm kind of locked, more locked into this team. I can't move out of it as easily. Someone underperforms and I've got to, I've got to scramble. What am I doing it with? Who am I moving? So I didn't want to, risk being too illiquid and so i sacrificed points this year for depth not just for the points but to make sure that i felt like my overall roster was a bit more liquid
1: followed up with a lot of rookie drafts were in the books already but did you have a first round flag plant in the first round
2: uh well i mean i was i was in on anthony richardson but then i guess that the market caught up to that um I don't know that I would say I had a first round flag plant necessarily. Um, I thought the first—I uh, honestly thought it was a pretty efficient year for for dynasty rankings. There wasn't like a ton of uh, divergence that I had early on. I was Bijan one, obviously Richardson two. Um, I Jackson Smith and Jigba—I was—I maintained as my wide receiver one, which I guess like might count as a flag plant. I don't know, but I felt like he was. Uh, getting a little disrespected. I, I still think he has like really strong range of outcomes. Um I was firmly Bryce young over CJ Stroud, which is like semi flag I had J- Gibbs and Smith and Jigba over Stroud, which maybe that, maybe that in combination is a flag plant.
0: That last one sounds like the flag plant to me running back over quarterback. Ryan, anything to add there?
1: No, no, I see it pretty much the same way, you know, the whole, the whole process. And I, I'm, something I like about this is I'm lower than consensus on Stroud 2 long-term. So happy to hear that.
0: Let's talk about a quarterback that Ryan and I are above consensus on long-term. Maybe you'll talk us out of it. Deshaun Watson through four seasons was one of the best fantasy quarterbacks ever. And one of the best real life quarterbacks ever. He's a terrible person. We all know this. He barely plays football for two years. And in a six game sample late in last season, he was awful. Obviously, that's going to drop the range of outcomes slightly. Where do you stand on him at this point where right now his ADP kind of suggests that he's in this, this purgatory where he's not good, he's not bad, but there is long-term job security. Do you have any any kind of strong Watson takes? And then on top of that, one one trade for you to evaluate. We're just going to throw everything at you with Watson. I'm in a league with uh, many people know who Dave Kluge is. I traded him, Josh Allen, and he gave me Watson in two firsts. So clearly I like Watson Am my, did I just lose that dynasty league? Well, let's hear all the, all the thoughts here. He's very polarized. Oh,
2: well, how good is that team? I think that, you know, the quality of those firsts are going to matter. Uh,
0: I, I don't want to talk badly about his team on air, but uh, he has a go good on. team. My team is better. I, okay. I, I think so we're I have talking a, like mid first in that league. Yeah. Let's, let's say that he's going to have like the, the one Oh four to one Oh six or <laughs> not. or Sorry. He's gonna finish in the top four to six. That'd be okay. okay. One hundred seven yeah. to one hundred nine for twenty twenty four and twenty twenty five.
2: Yeah, I think that's I probably want Allen there, but it's like close. Um, I and I'm 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 optimistic about Watson. Uh, so it'd be more like like if you know, if you like bink one of those first, like he falls off after a couple of years, and you have like the one hundred three or one hundred four out of that, then I want your side. Because I do think Watson, um, like, we know he's going to be there. We don't know that the coaching staff is going to be there. Coaching staff could get, like, fired mid-season. And I think the way they get fired is if he continues to struggle. And um, they, I think, know that. So, I would – I I know it's, like, pretty narrative-y, but – I think they're probably going to have to pass a little bit more and design the offense around Watson a little bit more than they did last year. Cause I don't, I don't think that ownership's going to stand for it. Um, they like, they made a big bet. By the way, I think that the front office could also just get wiped out. I mean, you could be starting completely over in Cleveland if Watson doesn't look good, but like he's got a fully guaranteed con- contract. Like <laughs> the next guy's going to come in and be like, I can fix Watson. It's going to be, it's not going to be the Peyton thing where he's like, yeah, we'll see if it works out with Russ. And if it doesn't, no big deal. It's gonna be a I am the guy to fix Deshaun Watson is the next coach of this team if it doesn't work out this year. So you're gonna have to ride it out a little bit in it from a dynasty perspective. Um if it does, you know, if he doesn't bounce back. But I think I'm I'm okay to do that. You know, I had Trevor Lawrence last year in the summer, like no one would trade me for Trevor Lawrence. I was offering for I th- I mean, in retrospect, quite reasonable prices, and people were like the urban stinks too much. I can't, I can't get on board, but I think with Deshaun Watson, like you'll, you'll survive it. You'll come out the other side um, with a, with a valuable asset at some point. So uh, yeah, I, I think, you know, that, that trade is, is fine. If you can get, you know, even a little cheaper than that, maybe, you know, I would definitely be a buyer and I think he's very well priced in best ball. Um, You know, he's not priced like one of these elite quarterbacks. And you know that's for a good reason. He did struggle, but they they added Elijah Moore, Cedric Tillman's like kind of interesting is like a, a, a kind of big bodied role player type. And um, Joku can play, Cooper can play. If they lean on Watson a little bit more and design the offense more around the pass, um, I think he could have a, a pretty good year. So I, I do I do feel like I'm I'm fairly optimistic. Like I think his range of outcomes is is probably. Uh, a decent bit better than like dax and, and they go pretty near each other
1: sticking with quarterbacks with kind of like uncertain presence kyler murray is going to miss probably at least half a year the arizona situation looks like maybe they have the first overall pick next year and take caleb williams and in that event maybe they trade kyler murray i've always been a kyler murray guy I and mean, there's very few quarterbacks in the history of the league that have his skill set what's your on long term outlook on him
2: yeah I, i'm I don't know. I mean, I'm a little bit nervous about Murray partly because like, what are the, what, what's the Cardinals plan? Like, are they, are they going to try to move on from Murray? Am I going to have to ride out, you know, Murray to a new team? And everyone's like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to let you, I'm going to let you see how that goes, you know, (laughs) Uh, rather than excitement around Murray and, you know, you can kind of move off Murray. Um, so I think if you have, if you are, were to trade for Kyler Murray right now, then like you're, you're going to have him for probably two to three years. Right. Unless he crushes, but like in dynasty, I don't want to be right. Like I I would like to not have to be right. You know what, what, what if I'm wrong? Can I still win if I'm wrong? Cause that's ideal. And I, I don't think Murray puts you in a position where you can really win if you're wrong. Like he, he has to bounce back. He has to look healthy. Um, You know, he has to become like a a very desirable young quarterback again uh, in Dynasty. So that's like my general feeling on him. But I mean, it seems like from what I've been seeing on Twitter, he's he's falling quite a bit in value. I mean, what would you have to give up for him?
0: Yeah, it kind of seems like a, a random first and something could actually get you, Kyler, at this point, at least from what I've seen. Maybe maybe I'm looking at the wrong leagues, but it I mean, kind of seems like, sure. he, yeah, it kind of seems like a 2023 first, and I uh, I'm just gonna throw something at the wall, a Pitman, and next thing you know, Kyler Murray is yours. So
2: I, I, yeah, I'll do that. I'll I, I the roster spot's reserved for Kyler for two and a half years. Come on, welcome, come on down.
0: <laughs> <Here> we <laughs> go,
2: first and Pittman. you're in.
0: <laughs> we we found out what the furniture needs to like needs to look like for. <laughs> For the Kyler deal to hit. <laughs> we're going to go rapid fire now. Looking at Dynasty rookie drafts, we're going to take a, a a non-elite kind of mid, maybe later round, running back and pass catcher. Each of us are going to say a name with our Cliff Notes version of why. We think they're at least moderately interesting. I'll go first. Ryan will go second. Pat Green, our special guest, is playing anchor and going third on this one. At running back, I like Evan Hull. Jonathan Taylor is awesome. He also is a grinder back in the si- in the sense of he's going to be getting 20 carries a game with little in the passing game. We know those touches can often wear a running back down. Insert Evan Hull. Evan Hull was a very, very good pass catcher in college. There's a little bit of a skill set mismatch there with Anthony Richardson, but we don't really know what Anthony Richardson is in a way. Evan Hull is moderately sized and very fast. And I don't think Zach Moss or Deion Jackson is good at football. For pass catcher, I'll go Jaden Reed. No one's talked me out of this comp yet. He is Deontay Johnson light. Dynamic after the catch. Has played in the slot and outside in college with success. He has some speed. And I just think the Packers depth chart at this point looks quite wide open. Ryan, running back, pass catcher. Off to the races.
1: Roshan Johnson out of Texas. You know, as I've mentioned a few times around the show, I'm kind of a film guy more than a data guy. When I was watching B. John Robinson and watching Texas football last year, there were a couple times where I thought Roshan Johnson was Bijan. John. In general, Roshan reminds me a little bit of Arian Foster, which makes him like a viable pass catcher in, you know, a certain situation. I kind of like the the spot with the Bears because they have an ambiguous backfield that he could potentially rise to the top of. I'd prefer a pocket passer though to get more out of him in the passing game but he's my my favorite mid mid ish kind of running back and you know i've been hurt again with a lot of quick separation players with small rate catch radiuses like anthony miller's one that comes to mind still like josh downs a lot i thought he went later in the draft than i was expecting i would have preferred if he landed in dallas i think they could have really used his skill set but like pat i like anthony richardson long term Think he could be Anthony Richardson's slot receiver for the entirety of his rookie contract, at least higher on him than consensus.
0: Pat, running back, pass catcher, off to the races.
1: Yeah. So um,
2: I'll say Zach Charbonnet, which is a little bit higher uh, in terms of ADP, but like people seem pretty down on Zach Charbonnet, a second round NFL draft pick uh, to a team that likes to run the ball a lot and, uh, you know, to a team that has a, starting running back who doesn't catch the ball like at all. So that seems like a pretty obvious way for him to get involved. I did grind the press conferences. I went and watched uh, Pete Carroll talk about Zach Charbonnet afterwards. And he was saying like, we will rotate these backs in all situations. And he was like, maybe there's something that Zach does better. Maybe he does. Maybe he's better in the receiving element and we'll give him more of that. Like like he, I'm paraphrasing, but he like actually said that. And so that, like, kind of music to my ears. Like, okay, we know that there's a, a role here for a more kind of a receiving down back. I mean, Charbonnet's not, like, a receiving specialist, but he's capable. And Kenneth Walker came in with a big-time receiving red flag. He was not a, an efficient receiver as a rookie either. It's sort of an obvious path for Charbonnet to get snaps uh, on receiving downs. And then the other thing about Kenneth Walker is that he really struggled – with success rate last year he got stuffed a lot he's got home run ability for sure he's a very talented rusher but he's normally like in fantasy football walker's the guy who goes second you know walker's like the speed back who's going to see more limited touches like when we look at these archetypes and charbonnet the big body dude is usually the type of back who goes first now he's the rookie and we don't know that he's actually going to carve out a big enough role but, like, I could see us being like, we kind of have this backwards. Actually, Charbonnet's the guy they're using at the goal line and getting receiving work. And Walker's, like, an amazing – I don't want to say change of pace because he might lead them in rushes, but he's, like, he's your, your explosion back. But traditionally in fantasy football, the explosion back has not been this much more expensive than the bigger body guy who can also catch passes. So I'm kind of – I know that Charbonnet's like, well – He's now kind of like his values like forever capped and he's never going to be basically you kind of have like a handcuff for the next like three years. That's what you're getting when you draft him. What if you aren't? What if you're getting a guy in a committee who has receiving upside and a little bit of juice at the goal line? Um, and where we're just kind of happy to have either of these guys. I, again, I don't think Walker's like going away or anything. And I think he's very good at what he does. But I think we could be pretty happy to have both these backs given how much the Seahawks have have run the ball historically. Um, the other guy I'll say is Marvin Mims, wide receiver. Another another little press conference gem was that uh, uh, Sean Payton was talking about how when you watched, when you put on the tape, a lot of these guys look like they were driving in a rush hour traffic, You know, no separation. But you, you watch Marvin Mims out there, it's like you're, you're watching this guy on Saturday and Sunday just, just cruising along the highway. <laughs> this, again, paraphrasing, but this is what he actually said. <laughs> he's like, he's open. It's different. So he's just talking. He's just loving to see how open Marvin Mims is getting, and Mims, you know, I think is he's undersized a bit. He's he's over one eighty. He's one of these kind of like slightly undersized, deeper guys on the outside. Um, But I do think it's nice that Sean Payton traded up for Marvin Mims, the first receiver he's taken with the Broncos. We know they're not like particularly in love with any of these other guys. Uh, they've, they've kind of floated trading them. Tim Patrick will be there this year. They can't really cut them because of contract. But when you look at like the 2024 Broncos, I think Patrick's gone, probably one of Judy or Sutton's gone. Um, and then you could look at Mims as potentially like the number two there, uh, by 2024. And I think he's, he, his profile is pretty interesting, even though it's not perfect. He's again, the undersized outside thing, he's probably like a little bit more of a low volume guy, but, um. Given his ability to separate, if that translates, he could he could be a pretty big fantasy contributor. I think.
0: I like how I started with off to the races, and then we got the Marvin Mims traffic analogy going on. A lot of driving talk here. I, I'll actually add with Marvin Mims that he was targeted once every three routes as a true freshman in college. Pretty good. I think that at least is very very interesting. That is quite elite for anyone that needs the the translation of what that means in terms of how good that is for for targets per out run it's super good super good yeah. now but be- before we ask pat the million dollar or i should i say multi-million dollar question yeah. just a reminder my co-host is ryan reynolds at ryan reynolds nfl on twitter all of his work all of my work is on the 33rd rdteamcom i am josh Larky at J tweets on twitter pat corain is at pat corain on twitter his new site is legendaryupside.com. Pat, close us out. Give us one player that will be in the $3 million winning best ball mania for lineup.
2: Bresol. I've teased him a couple times. as is got having that legendary upside profile. Uh, I think that he will start a little slow. I think he probably, you know, is fifty-fifty for week one. But when you look at like what we're actually trying to do here, we're trying to finish first in week 17 first. That's our primary responsibility, is to finish first in the week 17 441 person tournament. The second most important thing is to win two tournaments in week 15 and 16. You gotta you gotta win both of those. You gotta finish first out of 16 twice. That's the second most important thing. The the least important thing is week one, you know, week one, you can find replacements to help you get through that little bit of advance rate, you know, ding that you're going to take with a Brees hall because even if he does play week one, he probably won't be fully healthy, but what he showed last year off the charts, rushing efficiency uh, per Rotovis uh, fantasy points over expected. He had 2.0 yards per route run. Uh, he had 16 Rush yards over expected per game, which uh, tied Tony Pollard for the second highest among uh, the the running backs in my in my screener. Nick Chubb led that group. I mean, he was an incredible rusher. Uh, you've got a boost to the offense. Brees Hall was doing all of this with like Mike White and Zach Wilson. Actually, maybe it was pre pre White. So it was it was mostly Zach Wilson. I mean, the, the offense was terrible, and he was yeah. still looking like a superstar. Now with Aaron Rodgers there, I mean, Rodgers could disappoint. And Brees Hall could still crush because the offense is going to be comp- competent. You know, they, they don't have a great offensive line, which is something that, that matters for running back production, but it shouldn't be terrible. Um, and he's been, I think, a real pleasant surprise as a receiver. He's not like a McCaffrey, Eckler type, but he's, he's going to give you enough there. Um, and he's explosive as a receiver. So I think you're looking at potential for efficiency as both a rusher and receiver once he's back to full health. I think he will be back to full health by probably mid to the end of the season. We're starting to get explosive games, him ripping off some long runs at like a third round price tag right now. The opportunity cost is like very palatable for, I mean, we, we were taking uh, Alvin Kamara last year in the third round when we were worried he might get suspended for like six games. And then he, the lo- like the lowest he dropped was the three, four turn. Brees Hall's probably not missing six games. You know, and you're getting, I think, a player who has more upside for the end of the year than Camara offered last season, given that Camara had had been kind of falling off in some key numbers. Um, So, yeah, he's he's just, I think, kind of an end of the season upside bet. I don't know medically anything from what I see on Twitter The you know, the Twitter doctor crew seems to be pretty optimistic as a whole. So I I think the market here, like maybe overly cautious like today, a negative report came out saying he might not be ready for uh, the beginning of training camp. Like, yeah, yeah, of course he won't be ready for the beginning of training. Yeah. Camp. Like, yeah. mid, like two weeks ago, Joe Douglas is saying that he might not be ready for week one. So, like, but the but the overall report, the overall quote was like I thought quite positive, talking about him already hitting like really impressive high end speed numbers per their GPS stuff him. They have this like really detailed plan of, of everything to work him back. They're like, we got to basically protect him from himself so that he doesn't do too much. He's like kind of hitting every checkpoint for them. Nothing in there that I view as negative. It's just like, yeah, he won't be. He tours ACL in season. He probably won't be the Brees Hall we want him to be until October, maybe mid-October, maybe it's November. But I think by December we're getting him and all the money is in the final weeks of these tournaments. So for me, it's Brees Hall.